What's good, everybody? We're back at it again with another episode of the Wrong Sir podcast. I have an extremely special guest today. Um, I'm so excited about this conversation because this individual is an inspiration for me. And so, I, like I told her before, I was super scared to reach out at first. I've had her contact for a while. Um, and I was like, hey, I'm just going to go do it. So for everybody listening, I think you're really going to love this episode. This is a prominent individual within sports. And if you don't know her, um, I hope that you will from this episode. But I'm so happy to introduce journalists, alum of my future alma mater, um, U of I, and also currently works for Bleacher Report and Turner Sports. Um, I represent to you, Taylor Rooks. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Uh, thank you for that very kind intro. And yes, I'm so happy you emailed me and we were able to make this work. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, I'm super excited. Um, and just for everybody listening, so basically, you know, with the podcast, just having these different episodes, trying to have game-changing conversations, but I think ones that can really help the listeners. And so when thinking of people and guests for the podcast, I'm like, who can really cater to my audience um, and who can really just provide a different perspective? And so you came to my mind at first. And, you know, really, I just want to start off with the question because I think it will just gear the conversation in the next way. What's your intention? I know that everybody kind of has different goals for what they want for the end of their career, what they're trying to get out of it. And I know you're really, even though we've seen you for a while, it's kind of new. So I'm just really curious, what's your intention? You know, why journalism and what do you really want people to get from your work? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I just want my interviews to be a feeling. I want the conversation I have to evoke things out of people, whether that's happiness, you know, humor, mm -hmm. sadness, frustration, whatever it is. I want yeah. the conversation I have with other people to, you know, bring something out of the viewer. Mm -hmm. I want the spaces that I create to allow the interviewer to be themselves, to say how they feel, um, to be asked things that they haven't really been asked, to have the opportunity to speak, um, I think is, is really important for me. And I just want to be doing that for the rest of my career. I just want to be interviewing people. You know, I like the studio. I like reporting. I, I like all of those things. Yeah. But nothing makes me feel as fulfilled as sitting down with somebody and really asking questions and having a real true conversation. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's really my hope. I think that's interesting because just even when I start the podcast too, I really wanted people to like feel a feeling too, you know, whether whatever that is, I think if you're content with whatever you put out, then I think it'll be okay because you feel like you put the best out. But I think there's, it's really interesting to me because some people have goals of doing different things. So when yeah. you say feeling, when did you come to the conclusion that that was what you wanted out of your interviews and why specifically do you want people to, no matter what the feeling is, whether it's angry, sadness, whatever, why are you comfortable with having them feel that way? Yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot of it is because I think too often just with people, we have decided who they are mm. before we've even spoken to them or heard them say anything. We decided who they are, maybe based on one thing we saw about them, maybe based on some narratives, some right. jokes out there about them, whatever. We'd be like, oh, but this is their personality. This is them. I know that I like them or I don't like them, even though I've never spoken to them. <laughs> yep. Right. So for me, I want you to decide that by hearing them talk. And if what they say you like, 
or you don't like, or you think it's dumb, or you think they're smart, whatever. Right. I want your opinion on a person to be based on that person. Mm. So when I say like, I wanted to bring emotions out, I wanted to bring emotions out of you the same way that any conversation brings emotions out of you. I right. want you to feel like you're listening to two of your friends talk mm-hmm. and you're making decisions based on that. Um, I think a lot about what Oprah was able to do. Like mm-hmm. you would tune into every single Oprah interview, whether you knew the person, didn't know the person, liked the person, whatever, because yes. you were going to get something from that conversation. Okay. Um, so that's, that's probably kind of why I decided that's what I wanted to do. Just growing up, watching her all the time. You know, right. I would okay. get off the bus and uh, my mom was in the room watching Oprah. And so then I was, in the room. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of it. Yes. Yes. I love it. And I think we've all had those moments, like even whether it be an interview or not, like especially being an African-American and a young girl, you go to your grandma's house, she's watching some soap opera, uh, like you know, whatever it is, your mom's probably watching Ellen. And so yeah. all people we see unconsciously have an inspiration on things we like to do, conversations we like to say. And I think you don't even realize it until you start to get in the space that you enjoy. You're like, wait, I used to watch so-and-so and now yeah. I like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's beautiful. Like just what we draw inspiration from sometimes like without even knowing it. Right. And even just that you can draw inspiration from like a simple conversation, you know, people felt moved. I don't really know if people understand, you know, the power of words and the power of conversation mm. and how having meaningful, good and true conversations really can shift mindsets. They can shift conversations. Um, and being able to do this as a job, I think is something that's very powerful and useful and there should be more of it being done just yeah. a simple conversation I always say asking a question is the easiest thing you can do you don't know something you ask and it's just cool that you know we the career is finding things out asking good questions and and hopefully getting good answers yes oh I love it okay I love where this conversation is going so <laughs> really for me I want to we've introduced you you know we kind of talked about what's your intention and what's the mission but I think it all, like you said, comes from those days of you getting off the bus and going to see your mom uh, and, and watching her watch Oprah and things of that sort. And so I think one of the core places, of course, comes from your childhood where you're watching those things and finding inspiration. Um, but also something that we have in common is being an Illini. And yeah. so I think that's where you made a lot of strides here in, in terms of just building connections, in terms of getting experience, because, you know, college is where you basically do it all. And so, you know, I think my first question is, when being here, I want to talk about about the power of patience. And so I think even when we had our conversation with through SBA, I learned about just the uncertainty of your process, even with being in college, you know, feeling like you gave everything, you had things figured out. And in senior year, maybe not having the opportunity that you thought would be there. And so just even before the experience and those things that you went through, I'm really curious, you know, you came in as a broadcast journalism major. How are you definite to know that this was what I wanted to do? Like this was it, you know, people come in college and they're undeclared. They never know. And it's just like, okay, you get to junior year and you might be off track if you don't decide on a major. So how are you definite that broadcast journalism was for you? Yeah, well, because I mean, at first I was actually like, oh, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to major in something that can maybe be business, like really, you could use for whatever. And then, yeah, just, just, I wanted something like that. Mm-hmm. But I was like, this isn't the thing that I feel like I'm meant to be doing. It's not the thing that mm-hmm. makes me happy. 
I just think really early on, I was like, I don't like doing anything I don't want to do. <laughs> and I just, the thing that I know, I think I could be good at what I meant to be doing is journalism. Mm. So it was as simple as doing what I thought was going to make me the most happy. Right. And feeling like I wasn't going to fail in it. And feel like if I, if I put my all into it, it'll work out. You know, growing up, what my parents would always say to me is you could do whatever you want if you put your mind to it. Mm. They would say that to me every single day. So I'm like, I have to fully dedicate to doing this. Yeah. So that's what I did. And I think when I, it's hard sometimes to have one foot in the door and one foot out the door because then you aren't fully committed. Right. When I fully committed, I felt like the universe kind of opened because I was telling the universe what I wanted from it. Like, this is who I am. This is who I want to be. And I'm going to put all my, you know, all my arrows are going to go in that direction. Instead Mm. of going here, but not believing in it. So I'm also doing this. Like, you're just kind of closing the door on yourself if you aren't fully, fully, fully committed to it. Then you look back and say, oh, well, maybe I could have done it if I, if I had committed to it. I never wanted to So I just, it did everything I could. I wanted to know that I had exhausted every part of me uh, Mm. for it to work. Um, So that's what I was doing all of college was just trying to, you know, make stuff shake with sports journalism and interviewing whoever I could and, you know, all the things. Um, And there was ups and downs, as you know, there was time where I was like, okay, I don't have a job. What am I going to (laughs) do? Yeah, that is, that's just a part of the journey for sure. Mm. And, and, and I'm even curious, like you went through these experience, Big Ten Network, you're here, um, also had some time with SBA helping Austin and things of that sort. But, you know, one thing that really, really stuck out for me, and there are two things from our conversation, just talking about your advice to students and also your journey. I remember you saying, after your senior year, like graduating, uh, you and your friends took a trip to like an OVO concert uh, with Drake. And you were like, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I went and I went to go have fun. And then an opportunity came about eventually. How, what would be your, how do you know to be patient, to have faith? Because I think sometimes maybe in that moment, you probably didn't, you're probably like, I exhausted myself. Like, how could this be possible that I don't have an opportunity? You know, there may be others in your position. What would be your advice to them or maybe even your younger self during that time? Yeah, no, I mean, literally, I got the call that Big Ten Eric wanted me to work there driving back from Canada to Shanghai. Mm. <laughs> and I was going to fly home and live at home with my parents as I figured out what I was doing like three days after that. That's crazy. So the, the timing was legitimately insane. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you do just, you have to keep going because I mean, the choice is either keep going or stop. Mm. And I knew I wasn't going to stop. Right. I think a lot of things in life are so much more simple than we make them. You know, like sometimes people say, well, like, you know, how are you going to keep going? I was like, well, because if I didn't keep going, it was over. I right. didn't want it to be over. So I just had to, I had to have faith in the work that I did, but also say, okay, you know what? Maybe it won't work out exactly the way that I thought it would, but something has got to give. Um, and I just tried to let, I tried to let the work speak for itself. And that goes back to what I was saying about being committed. I knew that I did everything in my power mm. in school to be able to get a job. I knew that I did. Yeah. So knowing that I was always holding on to that, like somebody is going to see the work that I put in. Mm. And also, and I think 
Well, first, I think we should kind of, you know, normalize being able to talk about the good things that we have done. I say that to say I always felt like I was better at it than the people in my class. Like I always felt mm. that way. <laughs> you know, that might be like a taboo thing to say out loud, yeah. but as I was always just like, this comes really naturally to me. Mm. Okay. Like I was like, I just think this is the thing I'm supposed to be doing. Yep. Um, and so I think just going by that and saying, okay, I think this is my purpose. I'm being called to do this. It's the same way we'll ask an athlete, like, well, when did you know you were going to be an NBA or NFL? Like, always say, well, because, you know, I was 10 years old, but I was playing like, <laughs> yeah, like, I was on varsity. Exactly how I felt. Yeah, that is exactly how I felt. Just doing packages or anchoring. I just, this, it, it was just, it came really naturally to me. Mm. Um, and so I just, I held on to that for myself that, that it was my purpose and I wanted to do whatever I could to, to make that happen. Mm. I, I well, that's really good. I think everybody can relate to that too, even when there are things that they really enjoy and they like doing. And, you know, another takeaway, like I said, there were two that you said was, you gave this advice to Imani and she like referred it back to me. And she was like, Hey, like Taylor told me like the, the thing that you should do is always make sure you have your own material. Um, and that is like, for me, I think that's one of the greatest pieces of advice I've ever heard personally. I think because even just like with journalism, everybody may not be afforded the opportunity to work with the big 10 network, but there are 40,000 people on this campus. And it's like, how do you differentiate yourself? How do you make sure like, I'm doing the correct thing. And so for those who maybe want to venture in the position that you're in or who want to do journalism and don't even know where to start, um, I would love for you to expound on what you mean by having your own material and like what are some examples of things that they can do to maybe just differentiate themselves from those in the classroom, like you said. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I owe my entire career to like having my own material. It has helped me every step of the way. When I was in college, I had a blog. So I was doing the blog. Did you? Wow. Yeah. What was it about? Tell me more. So it was called the online sideline. Such a lame name. But I was was interviewing whoever I could and like writing stuff about sports. Like it was just, I was just doing whatever on this blog. Right. Um, So I had this blog and then foxsportsandscout.com saw that blog and was like, okay, we want you to work for us to rest your college career. So I did that, which led me to being at every Illinois football and basketball game in the press box, getting paid in college for my work, like all that because I did this blog. And then after that, Big Ten Network was like, okay, we want you to come work for us mm-hmm. when you graduate. So I did that. Towards the end of working in the Big Ten Network, I decided to start a podcast. And then I did that podcast when I was at SMY. It was just the thing that I did. I booked it. I hosted it. I produced it. I did all the things. Wow. I wanted to have a podcast that was mine from doing that podcast at SNY. Bleach Report was like, wow, this is really good. We want you to come work here. So Mm -hmm. every like thing that has happened to me in my life, I attribute to the fact that I did something that was mine Mm -hmm. and I was passionate about. Um, So, and above, like above and beyond that, it gives you reps. So you get better. Exactly. You get better with asking questions. You get better on air. You become a better writer all the things um and you care about it more because like it's yours like this is the thing that I do it's my name I want to be the best that it can possibly be mm-hmm. so everybody should do that it's important in college though because you're showing employers 
this is my content. This is what I do. This is what I have done. This is why you should hire me, essentially. Right. Um, so yeah, I stress that to everybody. Own some like content, own some material. Mm. Um, and I think it'll it'll always take you really far. If you're in school, have a big Twitter presence, right? Like have a Twitter that's all about sports. And in college, like focus on one thing. Is it college sports? Is it Big Ten sports? Is it Illinois sports? Right. Sports. Um, but you know, focus on one thing. Have a Twitter, have a YouTube, have Instagram, do a podcast, do like every what you're doing. Like it's that's important. You have something that's yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like I said, it helps you build a following and helps you just get like be better at the craft too. So yes that was like greatest piece of advice I know when I sent you an email like this is one of the reasons I started the podcast like how can I set myself apart and like even for everybody listening who maybe aspires to do journalism or even have these conversations it has benefited me in so many ways I think like even just my personal testimony like when I have interviews people are like what's your wrong sir you know because I put it on my resume and they're like okay, you know, I, I'm hyped because I get to talk about it. Yeah, that's, that's why I have a podcast. Yeah, and these people have been on and that's what we talk about. And like, that's that's really, really important. It, re- yeah. it really is. And you also probably feel like, you know, your, whatever your first podcast was, your leaps and bounds better mm-hmm. in this one. Because you've done so many and you get it and it it really does help. Yes, yes. And, and even just building upon that, I think one of my favorite things to hear was um, how you got the opportunity with Bleacher Report. I think a lot of people were probably like wondering, how did Taylor get with Bleacher Report, you know? And so a lot of people are always wondering, how do those connections happen? Like, of course you have the previous work, but how did you get in touch with Bleacher Report and give them the opportunity to trust you with your own segments um, and the things you're doing now? And so I think it might even be a stretch, but like, even like Issa Rae and yourself kind of remind me because I think having the opportunity to have your own material initially and then using that to leverage to get partnership with bigger companies like she's with HBO with Insecure and things like that. And so I think my biggest question too, you had your own podcast, Bleach Report heard you. They were like, hey, like, can you come work with us? We love your work. What are you doing? How do you differentiate if this is the best opportunity to take? Because I think a lot of people, we aspire to work for ESPN or we aspire to work for Bleacher Report or Turner Sports. But how do you know that this is the best opportunity to go and to maybe put your personal material, maybe the podcast that you had to the side and sacrifice that to move on and be a part of an organization where like their name is on your things? If that Yeah, Yeah, no, that's a good question. I, um, so there is a professor at Illinois. He's not there anymore. Professor okay. Christopher Benson, not Nancy Benson, but Professor Benson. He was like my mentor when mm-hmm. I was at U of I. And I will always remember one thing he said to me was, you should always be driven by the pull and not the push. Mm-hmm. And so there was a moment at SNY where I was like, okay, I want to do more. What I'm doing here, it's like, it makes me happy, but I just, I want to be doing more. Mm-hmm. And if I, and so it was like S and Y was the push for me, but I was like, I don't want to leave something because there's a push. I want to leave somewhere because I'm being pulled to do something that feels purposeful to me. Mm. So like leisure for me was that pull. Okay. Um, and so I always try to move through my life by going to the thing that I'm like gravitating towards the mm. thing that I think will again, make me feel purposeful. And what leisure was presenting to me was something I've always wanted, which was my own show with, you know, 
a platform and I still have a lot of creative control. Right. And I was producing it. I was helping book it. And so what I'm doing there still feels very much so like mine um, mm. because my hands are all over it. Okay. Uh, and, you know, you're still having to, you still have to advocate for yourself too when you're at these companies as well. You know, mm. I was taken there before COVID and COVID came. So the traveling was different. So throughout COVID, I'm doing like a bunch of remote interviews. I still wanted to be right. Doing and then when things start opening back up, I'm like, well, I would really like to just do a podcast where I can sit down and talk to people. Can you make that work? And through- Which is amazing, <laughs> by the way. I love watching so it. Same here. <laughs> so through pushing and pushing that and that, it, it was able to work. So things don't just start coming like this because you've been in this big company. You still have to put out there, you know, what you want. Mm. Um, but I think Bleacher was the perfect place for me because they really do a good job of that intersection of sports and culture. And yeah, that's what a lot of my work is. So it was definitely kind of just a, a match made in heaven for sure. Mm, that's that's amazing. I think because a lot of sometimes even just not outside of journalism, like creators in general are sometimes so afraid to partner with other bigger companies or take that, what you say, pool, um, because they're afraid that they won't have the creative autonomy to do the things that they want to do. And so, you know, when you get in those spaces, especially as a a woman and also a Black African-American woman, how do you learn to advocate for yourself? Or maybe if there's a creator listening, how do I go about presenting a conversation to a company to make sure that I let them know, hey, I still want creative control. How do I say it in a respectful way, um, but that I'm still a part of that company? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, a, well, first off, it's that you either do it or you don't get the creative control. So mm. <laughs> you gotta figure out how to do it. That's number one, right? Right. So that, that's what I'd say here. You're always going to be your biggest advocate. Nobody knows what you want more than you. So it's imperative that you always speak on that when that right. chance is presented to you. Um, but no, I think it's so much, or it's, it's as like little as just saying, you know, I, love everything that we're doing at Bleacher Report. I want to make sure that, you know, my voice stays the same mm. in my content. Can I also help co-produce? Can I help show run? Can mm. I help book? I really want this to be a collaborative project. And the only way for it to succeed is, you know, for me to feel like it feels like me. That makes right. it a better product for everybody. So let's have some conversations about how we can do that. You know, it doesn't have to be this thing of like, you give me this, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like everybody wants projects to thrive. You mm. want it for your bottom line. So as much as you, a word I always use is collaborative. Like I'm very collaborative, which is me saying like, no, like I'm very involved. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I do like stay very involved, but collaborative is just a more professional term to use in that. So, yes. um, but yeah, there's ways to ask and get anything. Mm, that that's great advice and I think that just helps me too um just even with the podcast just trying to think so I really was excited to pick your brain about that because I mean it's different wanting to be in a space but already being there and knowing how to communicate because you've had those situations so that's gold I appreciate that yeah yeah of course yes and then okay so moving forward we get creative control, we have autonomy, we're producing, we have our hands on all of these things. And so now you have the opportunity. I think one of my favorite things is always seeing you innovate. Like, of course, it was Take It There with Rooks. We see you with so many people in person. We see you with Dwight Howard, all of these individuals. And now we have the vlogcast. And so mm-hmm. as you sit across from somebody with two microphones and just having a really just transparent conversation. And with that, I'm just really curious um, of your interpretation of real and powerful storytelling. Mm. 
Um, when you have these conversations, what do you go into? Of course, it's different for every single person. But like, what is your mindset when it's like, hey, these are the things I want to pinpoint from this individual? Um, and how do you articulate those things through those questions? Yeah, well, some one thing that helps me is so I'll always just watch a bunch of their videos. I read a bunch of stories about them. Mm. And I always say, OK, scratch this. Like, I don't want to ask them anything they've asked. Right. Like, I don't see the point of doing an interview if it's just the same thing that we already know about the individual. Mm-hmm. So my goal for every interview is to like create news, to have that person tell me something that they have not said, expand on a story that they haven't expanded upon. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's really my big thing is like, don't make this interview like everything that you've already seen about that person. Mm-hmm. Ask a different question. Um, so that's the first thing. Like, the, the whole point of an interview is to create something from it. News so I, I see an interview as a failure if there wasn't news created from it. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. Then I always think of something I read in the book called Heavy, and I say this all the time. He's talking about writing. And he says, well, like say what you want to say and start by saying just that. Like, don't make a question bigger than it has to be. Like if what I want to ask you feels direct, just directly ask it. Okay. Sometimes we fluff questions up too much and that changes what we're even asking. So Mm -hmm. I try to just ask exactly what I want the answer to. And that it might like sound harsh, but there is a way to ask anything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like for example, with Jimmy Butler, people say he was a bully. So when I interviewed him, I just said, well, people say you're a bully. You know, it's like being like, well, how do you, what do you feel your leadership style is? It's like, yeah, that actually isn't what I'm asking. Mm. Like I'm asking, are you a bully? Bully. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like it's important to actually ask what you're asking. Does Mm. that make sense? Like, yeah, you did a great job. It makes no sense. And so I always try to be cognizant of that. Jimmy Butler is also, by the way, like one of the nicest NBA players. Like it's like, he's literally not a bully. He's like a really kind individual. Right. Um, but so it was, so I, I, that's how I go into interviews. Just ask whatever it is, mm-hmm. but also make sure you're asking different questions and you're also leading with empathy. A lot of the times, like people, like athletes view interviews as a place where they go and they're going to be like judge. Right. But I want everyone sitting down with me to know it's more about understanding. Like, I just want there to be discourse and exchange of ideas and a place where you can be honest. So those are three things that I try to lead with. with Those are good. That was good. And even with, I'm curious, having conversations with athletes, your dad was an athlete um, and very well known on our campus. And I'm curious, have you had a conversation with him of him giving you advice about how to approach athletes and media just from his personal experience and how he feels like you can better approach them? Yeah, well, I think just like innately from being around like my dad or my uncle, but also like I have so many friends that are that are athletes too. Right. I understand like what they like and what they don't, what they respect from media and what they don't respect from media. Mm. So I just kind of subconsciously am always picking up different things uh, when it comes to interviewing. Um, but no, my dad, of course, has played a really big role in how I just consume sports in general. Mm-hmm. Like I never had to get over the hump of being like, oh, athletes are just people. Like I've always, 
I've always known that because I've been around so many throughout right. entire life. So that that has certainly helped. Mm. And then you touched on this. You said you through your experience, you've noticed what athletes respect and what they don't. Can you give me one example of something that makes an athlete feel comfortable? And then one example of something that an athlete wouldn't enjoy if they were being interviewed? Yeah. Hmm. I think an example of something that makes athletes feel comfortable is, so I think the, like the five minutes before an interview are really important. Like you got to say, hi, and like ask what you're doing. Like you got to create a comfortable environment. You don't want to just like, you're all right, so let's get to the questions. I think that's, that's a thing. Also caring about them as an individual, hmm. like asking them things that have nothing to do with sports. I okay. Think really, they don't want to be seen as like commodities or like objects, right? It's like, tell me something about you. Um, I think it's really important and makes makes athletes feel comfortable. In my experience, athletes are also really comfortable doing interviews in places that they pick because they tend mm. to be that they're comfortable at. Um, so I always ask, like, is there a place you prefer? And sometimes you say they're home or like their favorite restaurant, whatever the case may be. That's interesting. The environment um, just innately kind of creates comfort for them. Mm. Um, so then they don't like, they don't like headlining stuff. So I never want, like if someone gives me a quote that I know is going to like go crazy, the context is important. So I always make sure context is made when clips are being promoted or going out there because it could change the entire meaning of something that I never want to do an interview with you again. They'll never help you get another interview. And it's such a network of interviews, by the way, because like mm-hmm. I, I interviewed Danny Green for Take It There. And when I interviewed Danny Green, Dwight Howard came for like 10 minutes and was a part of it. This was like two years wow. ago. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so then like last month I texted Danny and was like, Hey, I, I really want Dwight on my podcast. Can you ask him if I can have his number versus set it up? Danny's like, sure. Hour later, he sent me Dwight's number. And I he's on air. Happens. Yeah. So you always want to create, like you want people that have been on your show to be fine helping you get other people because they know their experience was good and their story was told in the right way. Right. And yeah, you do one wrong interview, like people won't want to do an interview with you. So that's that's really important as well. Mm, that's that's really good. And I think that's great because a lot of the times, even what Bleacher Report does, which I think is good, like you said, recent interview with Jake Paul, it was the exact words of what he said. You know, it wasn't necessarily taken out of context. It wasn't a part of his sentence. It was exactly what he said. And so like, there was no misinterpretation of what he was giving you and what question you asked him, which Mm -hmm. I think was really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of course. Yes. I love it. I'm a fan. I'm watching. I'm always (laughs) watching. I'm always looking. Thank you. Yes. And compared to other, in my opinion, you know, just from my experience, how we've seen sports being portrayed. We have the sports centers, we have the bleacher reports, we have all of these different platforms. And something I've noticed is, in my opinion, I think there lacks originality, like you said, with wanting to have that in your interviews. Like I can be on sports center or social media or whatever. And I'm like, they reposted this video like two months ago. And it's just it might be the same content, Ah. like recycled. Uh, no, I'm only laughing because like one of my best friends runs a sports center Instagram. So he's gonna laugh that I <laughs> don't be mad at me, friend. Don't be mad at me. <laughs> but it's just like little things like that. Yeah. And so 
I just think that it's important, you know, to understand, like, how are we telling something new, like you said? Um, but one of the books I'm reading, I don't know if you've read this yet. Have you read $40 Million Slaves? Oh, my gosh, yes. And I actually met Bill Roden. He signed it for Did me. You? Was, oh, my God. He's great. He's he's so kind. But no, it's a it's a great book. It's so interesting to think how the book would be different if he wrote it right now. Exactly. You know, just because the landscape has changed in so many ways, good and bad. Like if he wrote it today, it would be completely different. Mm, what, do you, what do you, I'm curious, what do you think would be different about it? Yeah, I think, I mean, the way that you can talk about the NCAA now, mm. you know, the way that you can talk about how some athletes have even, you know, positioned themselves to hold out to get into a better situation, the way that athletes now are also discussing the money that owners make in comparison to them. Mm-hmm. We can talk about somebody like Donald Sterling. Um, exactly. Who, you know, we all know obviously what Donald Sterling did, the way that there has been so many incidents of racism within front offices. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like the landscape, you know, of of the money um, that is happening in sports. That's just different from when that was written because that had to be written over 10 years ago. I think, yeah, it was definitely over 10, yes. Yeah, like probably like 20. Mm-hmm. Like, was it like maybe 20 years ago? I think so. Let me, maybe I mean, like 15. Something around like, that time. Yeah, like it's definitely an older, but it's just so different now. The money now is astronomical compared to when that was written. So, mm-hmm. and just so many discussions have happened. Yeah. Um, about like just with what he was talking about. Um, so it's, it would be interesting. And I hope he kind of does like a volume two. Yeah, he needs to. I'm I like I've seen this book and I'm the type I'm always screenshotting pictures of books that people post and it's like in my camera roll and I have like this list and I'm like, okay, this is I read this. Let me check. Like and I, I was like, I'm gonna pick this one up. And um it was recommended to me and it's been like extremely eye-opening. And I think my is amazing. And my favorite part is the, the educational part. Not necessarily everything about, oh, opinions or, you know, redemption and fall. Those things are great. But it's like, I didn't know who Arthur Rube Foster was. Or, yeah. I, you know, it's like, what? Like, this is crazy. And mm-hmm. so I'm just curious with this book, I think he does a great job of like educating our community on things that we didn't, we had no idea of. And maybe it's not even our fault of the ignorance. It's just maybe this was a, wasn't in our history books or our family yeah. members didn't know this. And I think he's telling a powerful story of making sure we know our history. And so even with your interviews, like we talk about with regular jobs, hey, you make sure you understand and know a company before you decide to get into it. And I think there's a lack of that in sports organizations of really knowing like, where did it come from? Or when was the first African-American? And integrating that into your interviews, I'm curious, have you had any thoughts of like making sure that you're letting people know not just about the athlete, but about the history of different organizations and like where we come from a part of those things? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it kind of depends on the content that I'm doing. Mm. Uh, Like I know when we were like deep in quarantine, I like did a series that was, literally just about blackness and like talking to people about their journeys with blackness or their relationship to blackness and in that I feel like that's what that vehicle was it was about history and how we've learned it and what we know what we don't know um and things in that way but also sometimes when I do interviews it does come up and I think it's important that we expand on different things like I have an interview 
coming out with Michael B. Jordan, I think in maybe like two weeks or so. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, we talk a lot about just like kind of history Mm. uh, and Blackness and again, how that has shown itself in his life and stuff. And so because of the nature of that interview, I feel like there was a lot of focus on just like, just kind of like, um, I don't even think history is the right word for that, but there was just like a lot of conversations based in what it means to be Black. Mm. Um, and I think that it's important to have kind of societal and cultural discourse in interviews when that fits. Like, I certainly don't shy away from that. Okay. Um, if that's what it's about. Yeah, that's good. And that's good to know, I think, because like, you know, you said every segment is different. You have to figure out how to integrate those things. And I think even with this book, just having a podcast, I'm like, hey, I do want to make sure that I'm still having the opportunity to educate not only about somebody's story or what Taylor went through in school, but letting people know about the book, letting people know about who author was, because I think we have to keep those things relevant and at the front of sports before we, you know, have these conversations. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even with like spotlight, right. I think, you know, you have that now, you know, it's crazy that you were at an OVO concert uh, before you, after you graduated. And like, now you have pictures and Polaroids with like hanging out with Drake and his party. <laughs> and like, it's like, Oh my God, those are full circle moments. But I think even, especially because you're always in front of the camera too, it's different yeah. to be behind a microphone, but to be in front of a camera, what would be your advice for, you know, I would say young girls specifically, you know, having to keep up your appearance, having to make sure that you're presentable in front of the world. Um, what would be your advice to them in terms of like the mental stability or fitness that you have to have to be prepared for those situations? Yeah, for the situations of which part? Um, I would just really say like the spotlight, always having yeah. a camera on you, always being seen. Yeah, I mean, I think one, to operate thinking, okay, whatever I'm doing, someone is going to know, even though it's not true, just operating in that way. Okay. Um, Being smart, making smart decisions. Uh, I say this all the time, but somebody once said to me, you should do it out of love and never for it. Mm. So I think that all the time, it's like, it's very easy to get like caught up in the life and like, oh, there's parties and there's events and we're going to go hang out with this person. And like, all that is super, super fun. Yeah. But it can't be like why you want to do it Mm. because it gets old. You burn out. You just don't want to get caught up in that too much. Um, Then you start not thinking straight. So I would say like, stay grounded, know who you are Mm -hmm. in that. Um, and do this job because you feel like you have a purpose to like speak to people and tell stories, um, right. not simply because you want to be in the spotlight. I think that there's, if that's what's driving you, there's a cap to what you can really, really mm-hmm. accomplish um, because it will always show in the work. I do truly, truly believe that. Um, but no, I mean, you're right. It's, it's definitely fun. I, I've been really blessed. I've been able to meet a lot of people and I have really great friends and I have a good network of individuals around me. And I also don't see myself in like this one thing. I think I touch a lot of different arenas of entertainment, whether it's sports, music, entertainment, yeah. whatever. Um, and at this point, I really just want to talk to whoever has a story to tell. Mm. Um, I don't think it always has to be 
like the in the scope of sports. Okay. Um, I think that can always be like a part of it, but I'm down to talk about or talk to whoever. Mm, that's good. That's good. I love that. And like you said, talking to whoever, having the tools to do those things. I think one of my things that I was really interested to hear about you was um, one of your goals or aspirations eventually was to become a professor. Yeah. Yeah, still is. But I, I want to do that. I want to look into like soon what it would take to be like a visiting professor. And that might be something I do when I'm much older, but I'm still interested in knowing what it would be like to do it now. It would be really cool to teach like freshmen in college about journalism and interviewing and things like that. So I would love to do that. Before I ask this question, though, my first request, come back to U of I, so I can be a student in this class. I got you. <laughs> first dibs on this, okay? <laughs> but something that you did see in the interview, being a professor, of course, wanting to do those things, but you have seen a change um, in the curriculum or in the way that it can be, you know, related to what we're doing now with social media and the way that journalism has changed. You know, I'm curious if an I am myself, if I'm attending Taylor's class next year, maybe let's say you're a visiting professor, what's something different that I can expect from your class that journalism and, and classes don't have now? Yeah, I think that's a really, really good question. Um, so, I mean, I think a couple things. Mm-hmm. I would really want people to understand the power of social media and how social media genuinely can make your career as a journalist. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like it, it did for, for mine. Um, when I was there, there was no class. It was specifically about interviewing. And I would want interviewing to be like a really big focus in my class, if not the focus. Is there a class on interviewing there now or no? I don't know. Okay, so I'm not a journalism major, actually. But okay. I'm definitely trying to get into the space. Um, but I don't know if there is. I know there are different- I don't think there is. Yeah, yeah. I don't think so, so. I think that's really why I would want to come back. I, want, I would like to teach about like the art of interviewing. Mm. Um, I don't necessarily know if you're able to get that anywhere else Ooh, excuse me um, yeah. on campus so that's that would kind of be the focus of my class and why I was like hey, and also I'm not that much older than you guys so right. I get like <laughs> what is like cool at the moment what people want to hear about um, what people are nervous about in terms of you know going into journalism I also understand that people's paths are different you know, like, I don't believe in, you know, what they teach in journalism school, which is that you have to start at a local market and do all these things. And I don't exactly. believe that to be true. Um, I don't really think anybody is so rigid in that way or like have this box that has to be fit in that way. Um, so, yeah, that's I guess that's kind of how I I sell my class. I don't want my class to feel like a hangout. Okay. Uh, I like yeah, that class. Think, this is sounding good. <laughs> yeah. And I think honestly, like that first week I would pair people up mm-hmm. and like through the first like I would say probably the first month you guys have to interview each other and like really like I need to learn something from that interview um and that's probably how I do it start with integrating your peers so that you can understand how to ask a follow-up and formulate a good question and my assignment would be like you guys have to hang out like once a week so that you learn more about them and if the interview comes from that, um, that's probably the first thing I would do because you learn how to interview by talking to people. Mm. And I don't know if people really, really get that. They think that you can only learn how to interview by like doing something like this. But that's not true. You interview people every day when you ask your friends questions or. Right. You know, 
So that's a big part of it. That's that's dope. That's amazing. I think there there that that was be so fun, and there lacks like a lot of in, in like interviews like that. I know even my friends in journalism, it's a lot of writing, it's a lot of sitting and lecturing, and a lack of like actually living out those things in class. Like sometimes your first experience is if you go work for the Big Ten, it's like, whoa, this is my first time, you know, on camera or things of that sort. So that would be amazing. Yeah, no, I would, I would really, really like to do that. Oh, yes. Okay. And then you said social media also. So having this assignment, but also the importance that social media can make or break um, your career. If there's one thing that a college student should be doing to utilize social media um, to help with their journalism career, what would you say they should be doing? Well, having something that's dedicated to their content, like I said, whether that's YouTube, whether that's Instagram, Twitter, whatever, because we have to build a following. I mean, building a following is really crucial, especially now because sports media is very personality driven. Mm -hmm. Um, So you want to build a following. You want to have, know what your voice is. Like, why do people come to your page? Like, are you getting good interviews? And are you picking the right clips to clip out and put on social media? Like, there's, all this stuff is very intentional and there's like an art to doing that. Uh, so that's that's something I think that's important to teach as well. Ooh, that's good. I need this class, Taylor. <laughs> hey, we'll see. I'll I'll start talking to people, seeing how I can get that done. <laughs> yes, please do it. If you're listening, you of our professors or whatever, we need this to happen. Uh, because I would love to be in attendance to this class, actually. Um, and I just want to finish with some just follow-up questions, a little trivia. Uh, and my first one. I know you talked about Oprah, but I want to do somebody outside of Oprah. Who's a journalist that has inspired you the most? And if you can take one thing away from them to add to your craft, what would it be? That's a good question. Um, well, I'd say there's two. One, obviously Robin Roberts, because she is mm. so good and crossover, crossed over so seamlessly. Um, because she is just like a journalist doing through. She can talk to whoever about whatever yeah. and that's what I I really take from her the grace that she brings to the job hmm. and then probably weird answer but Howard Stern I think Howard Stern is really really good really not afraid to ask anything he's obviously a bit too shocked off for like what I'd be doing <laughs> take away just how he will ask whatever I think that's important that's good okay those are good second one if you can say something to your younger self right now, what would it be? Hmm. I mean, in all honesty, I would say like calm down because it's gonna work out. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but no, I think I'd also say like you know, stay stay graceful. Hmm. Um, keep being who you are. Don't feel like you need to change because um, it's going to get you exactly where you want to go. Okay, that's good. Okay, and then last one, we're going to finish up with this one. I know that it is super early in the season, um, and we can have our interpretations of what's happening in the NBA by who will win, but if Taylor can make a wild guess, a prediction uh, for what the NBA finals are going to look like, what what are your two teams you will put against each other? I know, it's so early. I'm like, I don't know what anything's <laughs> going to look like by the end of this. So, okay. I'm going to say Hawks just because it's my team. So, like, I have to okay. say Hawks. Okay. And I think we're going to get it together. Hawks, um, I don't know. Like, right now, the Warriors look really good. They're killing it. So, if it's just like, okay, season ends right now, what team has it all together? I'll say Warriors. 
Warriors, yes. Yeah. I had I mean, you don't know what when Broad is back, Lakers look different. You know, it's they're so it's anyone's game, right? Literally, yes. I will say, even coming in as a fan, I had different expectations for how I thought the start of the season would be. Like yeah. I thought some teams would be doing better than they are, and I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And like I know Draymond Green just had an interview where he's like, We're only 15 games in, but you know, like we're performing really You're well. Good. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see, we'll see what happens here. Um, but Taylor, I truly, truly appreciate you for your time. This was amazing. And, you know, for everybody listening, please, please, I hope that you enjoyed this. Give Taylor a follow. And also, where can they find your vlogcast? Oh, so you can just YouTube Taylor Rooks, Leach Report, and they'll all come up. There's episodes with uh, Dwight Howard, John Morant, Quavo, Lou Williams, Jake Paul. Mm-hmm. I know I'm forgetting somebody that I can't. Darren Waller. Yeah, I was gonna say that. <laughs> I'm forgetting still. I think some, but there's much on there. So just look those up. Yes, yes. Thank you so Alan much. Alan Iverson. I don't know. Okay, you, you can't forget Iverson. that one. That was a really yeah. good one. <laughs> yeah. But thank you. We appreciate you. Um, for everybody listening, please, please leave a five star review if you're listening, or subscribe if you haven't to the podcast. Um, and we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Thank you for having me. Of course.